0: Several months ago at New City, uh, a woman walked into the gym at Palmer School where we meet. She said she lived right across the street. And she said God had been telling her to come to New City from our very first day we met there at Palmer School. Then she said, I want to get baptized. You're probably thinking what I was thinking at the time. Yes! That's why we're here! That's what we're doing this for! That's what makes it all worth it! I mean, they're coming to us. We don't even have to go out the door. They're just, they're coming in. This is fantastic. Well, we couldn't hear. The band was practicing. And so she and I walked down to the library, just down the hallway. They had some comfortable chairs. And so I began to ask her, why is it you want to get baptized? It became very clear. She had no idea. She just thought it seemed like the right thing to do. And so for a half hour, I had a great opportunity to share Christ with her. Told her Jesus is Lord. He came to save everyone who will turn from their sins and believe in Him and Him alone for salvation. He is willing to do that for you. A half hour of this, it was a phenomenal time. And we finished. She said, I want to get baptized. I'm like, you understand what baptism is? You're saying publicly, it's not going to get you to heaven, but you're saying publicly Jesus is Lord and I'm going to follow Him. That's what I want to do. Yes! That's why we do this. She, it was great, I said, you know, we have a baptism service plan for Easter Sunday, We're this is like three months prior to Easter, and said, you know, we're, we're, let's keep talking about this over the next few months leading up to that. Make sure that you understand and that this is the thing for you to do and that you're, you're properly prepared. She never missed a Sunday. She, I mean, she lived across the street, so it was easy to get there. She came in early. She participated in the singing. She engaged in prayer. When we, Now, you guys do like an 18-second meet and greet. Ours can be 10 minutes. She engaged. People just embraced her, and they, she felt like she was really a part of it. When I would preach, she was very attentive, just glued on the edge of her seat, soaking it all in. It was phenomenal. We were excited to be able to baptize her. Well, I spoke with her on Saturday, the night before Easter morning, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. It's, I don't really understand what it means to follow Jesus. I'm not, I, I, it's some, I need to learn more. I need more time. I want to get baptized. I'm just not ready. I haven't seen her since. She was there Easter morning. She saw on, on Easter morning, I preached a sermon about the proper response to the resurrection of Jesus. The proper response to the resurrected Christ is a life of obedient faithfulness to him. It's a life of true discipleship that denies self and says, I'm following the one who is Lord, who proved it by rising from the dead. She heard the call to faith and repentance. She heard the call to radical discipleship, and she said, it's not for me. I can't do that. Now you hear that, and you might think, oh man, what, what, what a failure, that just crashed, It is a failure. I failed to convince her. I failed to adequately explain to her in such a way that she understood the gospel, that she knew what her part was and what she must do. I failed to convince her of her need for Jesus. I never had that ability, though. It was never in me to convince this woman. I never had that responsibility given to me by the Lord of creation. He told me to faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus. He never told me to convert anybody. And so this is not a story of failure, this is a story of success. The problem is we often don't understand what success in the mission of Jesus really looks like. So let's take a look at it. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, our text picks up, Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up the mountain, where he was transfigured. That is, his glory was revealed in a visible way. They recognized this is no mere man. This is no simple carpenter. There's something more about him. Jesus left the other nine behind and our text picks up right where Jesus and the three returned to the nine. Verse 14 of Mark chapter nine. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. Jesus comes down the mountain where his glory was revealed to these people in a powerful way, and he finds the other nine disciples arguing. As we're going to see, there's a man there who needs Jesus. He has come, he has a son who desperately needs Jesus, and instead of giving them him Jesus, the disciples argue with the scribes. Now, Mark has written about the scribes. The scribes are a group of people who deny the validity of Jesus. They don't acknowledge that he is who he said he is. He's a fraud, they thought. Rather than give the man Jesus, the disciples gave them an argument. We're going to convince you that we're right you're wrong, we're right, we're going to prove it through our persuasive arguments. Now, Jesus has given them a mission to do. He sent them on mission trips. We, that's, we're going to see that in chapter 6. They, they, they have seen him, they've walked with him as he has engaged in ministry. They saw him teaching people, healing people, casting out demons. They engaged in that ministry with him. Uh-huh. Jesus comes down the mountain and he sees them doing something he never did. Argue with people. You know, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we think we know what people really need. Uh We think we have the answers. If they would just listen to our arguments, if they would just see it from our point of view, that everything would fit, if they would just be like us. See, sometimes we want to argue about why our candidate is really God's candidate. We think we're standing up for Jesus because we put a sign in our yard and says, I vote for this guy. All the while, people drive past our house or they walk past our house not needing a candidate but needing none other than Jesus. But we wanna give him a candidate. See, we want to stand up for what is good and right. We should, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should be about things like social justice. We should be concerned that right here in this city, there are young children who are going to bed hungry who are in in not only broken homes, but homes that are shattered, where they're abused and neglected and despised and looked down upon. Uh We should be concerned about the sex trade right here in Grand Rapids. The city of seminaries and Christian radio stations and Christian schools and Christian donut shops. Uh Sex trade here. We should be concerned about those things, but we must remember that our primary purpose is to bring Jesus to these people. Our candidate's not gonna fix that. The mission given to us by the Lord of heaven and earth is to proclaim the good news that Jesus is Lord and that he came to save anyone who will turn to him in faith and repentance. Because he's Lord, it means it's really going to happen. Because he said so and nobody can stop him. Is that or why our guy's tax policy is better? Jesus didn't take three disciples up the mountain with him and leave the nine behind so the nine would engage in arguments with those who oppose Jesus. They had apparently forgotten why he left them behind. And he reminds them with this question in verse 16. What are you arguing about with them? He's asking, what could possibly be so very important that instead of doing what I, your Lord and Master, have given you to do, you decide to run off and argue with them? That's not what I told you to do. I told you to tell them the truth, the good news of who I am. The fact is we cannot argue anyone into faith and repentance. We're not clever enough to come up with an argument that's going to convince them. We're not smart enough to come up with some illustration like, oh, I get it. I mean, God uses those sorts of things, but it's God who uses them. It's not us. We're simply the mouthpieces. See, we can answer people's objections, we can, we can answer their questions, we can deal with the real issues that they might have on an intellectual basis, but that's all we can do. We can just tell them the truth. You see, I'm quite confident that no one has ever recognized their need for Jesus because you convinced them of your position, that your position on national health care mandate is right one. I'm not saying they're not important, it's not Jesus, it's just Jesus. That's what they need. That's who they need. He's the only one who can save them. People need Jesus, and so we must offer them Jesus. Verse 17. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him uh, to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. Jesus asks the disciples what they're arguing about with the scribes, and this father in the crowd answers him. He's like, hey, notice what he says. I brought you, my son. My son was brought to you. He didn't bring them to the disciples. He knows there's nothing special about the followers of Jesus, except where the followers of Jesus are is where Jesus is found. If you want Jesus, you go to where his disciples are. There's nothing special about them. Instead of giving them him Jesus, they give him this argument. See, when people come to church or they come to you knowing that you are a follower of Christ with questions or concerns or even a prayer, they're not coming to you. They're coming to Jesus. You're how they get Jesus. You see, they represent Jesus, and when Jesus isn't present, you represent him. Let's, let's make sure we remember that when we're with our family or friends or co workers somewhere and we look around and notice Jesus isn't there. We represent him. Only this time, Jesus isn't with the disciples because he's on the mountain. Let me say something bold here. I know those of you who know me are like, do you need permission? <laughs> i said that you're the third church I've said this to. I'll keep saying it in New City. Let me say this. This community does not need Calvary Church. This city does not need New City Church. This city does not need Ada Bible. It doesn't need Crossroads. It doesn't need Creston Church. It doesn't need Fourth Reformed Church. This community needs Jesus. If we don't give them Jesus, let's just hang it up and go home. We have nothing else to offer them. See, there's nothing special about Calvary Church that's going to change their lives. There's nothing special about how we do things at New City that's going to make a difference. Jesus makes a difference. Jesus is the one who saves. His church doesn't. The man says he asked the disciples to cast out this demon that had possessed his son. Turn back to chapter 6 and mark with me. Chapter 6. Jesus is sending the 12 out on their first mission trip. Verse 7. Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Jump down to verse 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. The disciples are doing what Jesus did. He healed people. He cast out demons. They're doing it too. Now how? How is it possible that these mere men were able to cast out demons? What does verse 7 say? Jesus gave them authority over impure spirits. The disciples were able to do what Jesus told them to do simply because Jesus told them to do it. The command includes the ability to do it. It's me working through you. Go do what I said to do. And watch what would I do. The, the disciples weren't there on their own, under own authority. They were there as representatives of Jesus. But they can't do what they did in chapter 6. What's going on? What's happening here? The man says they're not able to cast it out. Look at verse 19. Back in chapter 9. Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Well, again, as you see throughout Mark, Jesus is utterly amazed at the disciples' complete and utter lack of faith. He knows his time on earth is ending sooner, much sooner than the disciples believe. despite all the time he spent trying to explain to them that he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to be killed, he's going to rise again. They're oblivious to that fact. They don't get it. They don't understand. He's using plain language, but it doesn't make any sense to them. How can these things be? See, Jesus knows his disciples are not ready to carry on the full weight of his mission. They can't even cast out a demon anymore. They've gone backwards. The disciples brought the boy to Jesus, and then Jesus has this conversation with his father. He says, problems have been going on for a long time. It's, it's pretty bad. This demon that controls my son is trying to kill him, I try to burn him up in a fire, or, or if there's water, he'll, he'll throw my son in the water to try to drown him. We have to watch him day and night. We can't leave him out of our sight. It's trying to kill him, but in the process, it's, it's killing us, his parents. says nothing else is, has worked. So why not bring him to the one who is said to actually have authority over spiritual forces, the one who is said to be able to speak to a demon and have that demon leave? Notice what he says in the middle of verse 22. "But if you can do anything, I, lo- I love Jesus' response. If you can, if, seriously. This is the guy who can walk on water. This is the guy who could command the wind and the waves and they obey him without question. This is the one who can speak or touch a person and he can heal them of their disease. He can touch a leper and, be, and he's so clean that he cleanses the leper without getting leprosy. He can raise the dead if, there's no if when it comes to the power of Jesus. Right. But Jesus says casting out this demon has a condition. He says it's only available to the one who believes. See, faith is absolutely essential to uh, access the power of God. Faith is the key ingredient in his son's healing. But it's not just faith in an abstract way. Just believe, just have this sort of confidence in yourself or in the, you know, the fates or whatever might be controlling things. No, it's faith in Jesus that is necessary for God to work. It's a very concrete sort of faith. Let me say, faith doesn't mean you are absolutely, 100% certain, with no doubt whatsoever in your mind. Look what he says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. He's saying, I'm pretty confident, Jesus, that you can do this, but it's pretty bad. What if he can't? My son's going to die, and if I lose him, I'm losing everything. If you won't do this, Jesus, there's no one else to go to. You know what the amazing thing is? Jesus said that this man's faith, doubts and all, was enough. It's not absolute, rock-solid you know, faith, that I, I, no questions. I don't know how it's going to happen, Jesus, but I know you can do it. Will you do it? And so Jesus heals his boy. Now it's interesting that when Jesus wins a great battle, the enemy still thinks he has some fight left in him. Jesus commands the demon to come out. The demon comes out, but only he thinks on his own terms. It convulses the boy, thinks he left the boy for dead. See, the demon forgot he brought, the boy was brought to Jesus. Jesus isn't into partial victories. Jesus wins completely. Nobody can stand up to Jesus. When Jesus says, come out, leave the boy alone, you got to come out and leave the boy alone. And if you leave him from dead, Jesus simply is going to pick out his hand, and he's going to pick the boy up, and the boy's going to be fine. This is Jesus we're talking about. Well, as you can imagine, the disciples have some questions for Jesus. Verse 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. You know, the question reveals its own answer. Why couldn't we cast it out? In in, in chapter 6, they were casting out demons. They were doing the things Jesus did because he told them to. They seemed to have this ability to cast out demons. But who do they think was really casting out those demons? Do they think that somehow they had arrived at a certain level of spiritual maturity that, that they could speak and demonic forces would obey them? Do they think that somehow be, because they had watched Jesus do this, they themselves had do this? That somehow they had the ability, the power inherent in who they are? No, it was Jesus who was doing this. You know, I wonder what their their initial conversation with the boy's father was like. Like, oh, oh, you're looking for Jesus? He's not here right now. What do you need? Oh, your son's got, oh, he's got a demon. Yeah, I, I know it hasn't been written yet, but someday you're going you're to be able to read chapter six and you're going to find out, we can do that. We got this. Bring the boy to us. We, we got it. Trust me, Mark's going to write about it. They never had the ability to cast out the demons, even when they were casting out the demons. Chapter six isn't a story of the disciples and their ability. Chapter six is a story of Jesus accomplishing his mission through his people. Jesus gave them the authority to cast out demons. It is his authority that casts them out. The disciples have clearly forgotten this, though. Luke records a story of Jesus sending out 72 of his followers on a similar mission trip to these 12 disciples. Here's what they reported back. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. It was never their ability. It was never within their power to cause demons to leave. When they cast out demons, they were speaking the authority of Jesus, and the authority of Jesus commanded the demon to leave. See, it's in his name that we accomplish the mission that is set before us. See, the disciples ask, why why couldn't we cast out this demon? What's going on? What happened between chapter 6, chapter 9? We're only talking a few chapters here, Jesus. What's going on in this this story here? Jesus said, this kind can only come out by prayer. Process that with me for a moment. Mechanically, what are we doing when we pray? What is is going on when we pray to God? We're asking God to do what only God can do. We don't ask God to do things that we can do. We, We don't ask God to make us dinner. We might ask him to provide dinner if we're struggling financially or we got some problems in our lives, but we don't say, you know, Jesus, I'm on the couch, the show's on, and you know, chicken piccata's cooking on the stove. Can you add the capers? Just give it a stir and maybe turn the heat down a little bit. Wait till commercial and then I can go eat. We don't ask God to do what we can do. We ask God to do God things that only God can do. See, the disciples tried to cast out this demon in their own authority, in their own power, and they failed utterly. Well, duh, they never had that power. It is a recognition of our inadequacy to accomplish the things of God that drive us to pray. When we realize we can't actually do what God calls us to do, we are forced to fall on our knees before him and say, if it's going to happen, it's going to be because you are working through me. Send your power upon me. I'll do the work that you tell me to do, but I can't do it. I'll struggle and I'll strain, I'll try to lift the rock, but unless you put your hand under mine and pull up, it ain't moving. One author writes this. He said, prayer is a way of being empty and useless in the presence of God. And so of proclaiming our basic belief that all is grace and nothing is simply the result of hard work. We pray because we cannot cause the proclamation of the gospel to actually result in converts. We can't convince anybody. We can't make them see their need for Jesus. That is only Jesus working through us. We speak the words. He gives it power. See, Jesus has given to us an absolutely impossible task. Make disciples of all nations. A a woman walks into church asking to be baptized, appearing to be as eager as any person walking into church has ever appeared. A few months later, though, she walks away from it all. Several months ago, we had a couple young men at New City Church who were standing on a street corner in the Creston neighborhood, a corner they knew very well. They grew up right on that same block. They're standing there looking at these houses and these people that they recognize, and they're reminiscing about the stories of what would take, remember when we used to go to her house for cookies, and yeah, she was, and that guy right there used to chase us off his lawn, and you know, remember these, you know, we used to do some bad stuff in that house, we shouldn't talk about that one. You know, but they're, they're going on, and then they're talking about, can you imagine what this block would look like if people here who lived here said, Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to live for him. How much different would this city be? They're saying, what what is it that we could do to make that happen? How can we find ways to go back into the same neighborhood that we're from and talk to the same people we grew up with and tell them the good news of Jesus? Can you imagine what the city would be like if everybody trusted in Jesus? But then they were struck with a sudden realization. See, this wasn't a new corner to them. They had stood on this street corner many, 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 many many times before. For many years, they grew up there. The very same street corner, but not too long before this, they were doing very different things on this street corner gang violence, dealing drugs, sexual immorality, lying, cheating, stealing, fighting, backstabbing, gossiping, envying, all kinds of bad things. So, what happened? Fact is, somebody told them about Jesus. Somebody shared the good news with them that Jesus is Lord and that he came to save all who will have faith in him. And they believed it. They embraced it. Now, I don't know why these two young men embraced the gospel of Jesus while this other woman didn't. I mean, I could give you a theological answer, one that I believe with all my being, but I don't understand it. I don't know why it is that way. I just trust that God is sovereign. He's got this all worked out. I don't. But see, my job isn't to convince people. My job is to proclaim the good news of Jesus and allow God to work through me. You see, these two young men are an important part of New City Church. Their lives are completely and forever changed. One of them is getting married next month. If you know anything at all about urban ministry, you recognize what a miracle that is. It's absolutely incredible. He's going to be faithful to one woman for the rest of his life. The other one desperately wants to get married. He's not ready yet, but he he knows. He desperately pleads with God. Make me into the man you want me to be. I want to be a man who represents Jesus well. Someday if you give me a wife, I want to love her as Christ loves the church. But all the while, I'm going to be telling people about you and how great you are and how faithful you are to save. See, I don't understand why there's success in one and what seems like failure in the other, but I know this. God is the one who is working. God is the one who causes it to happen. I don't understand his ways and why one and not the other. It's not my job. It's not our job. Our job is to be faithful mouthpieces. See, both of these stories are stories of success because in both cases, the gospel was clearly and faithfully proclaimed. That's what he told us to do. We don't argue with them. We don't fight with people. We don't try to convince them in our own strength and authority. We just tell them what Jesus said. We tell them what Jesus did and let God do the rest. You know, if you own a business, God has given you that business so that you can proclaim Christ. If God has given you a job, then God has given you that job so that you can be faithful in proclaiming Christ. If God has given you a bunch of babies with dirty diapers, God has given you those diapers so that you have an opportunity to share Christ. If God has made you a preacher and you don't preach Christ, then zip it, Skippy, because you got nothing to say. There's nothing to say but Jesus. If God has given you some ministry, whether you volunteer here at at Calvary Church or you serve at some other ministry in the city, you work for some parachurch organization, donating your time or maybe you're employed, God has given you that ministry so that you will proclaim Christ you got to do the things the ministry does. If it's building houses for people or it's feeding the poor or it's tutoring urban kids who need extra help in school, do that, but make sure you understand that the ultimate aim of that is to proclaim Christ. Only Christ is going to rescue them. Education isn't. Good housing is not going to rescue them. We should be about those things, but we got to recognize those things aren't the final thing that people need. It'd be terrible for somebody to live in a nice house and go to hell. fact is people don't need churches. People don't need parachurch ministries. People don't need charitable organizations. Those things are good and we need those. But people need Jesus. See, Jesus has called us to proclaim Jesus. We're called to proclaim the good news. We can add nothing to Jesus and we can take nothing away from Jesus. It's just Jesus. That's all there is. We have nothing else to offer people. We can give people nothing more than Jesus. And we must give them nothing less than Jesus. It's just Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it is a great and incredible privilege to be able to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and what He has done. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for Calvary Church, a long legacy of faithfulness to the gospel. Lord, give each one of us here today a greater vision for proclaiming Christ. Give us a greater passion for proclaiming the good news that He is Lord and that He came to save many from their sins. God, let this church and New City Church and Creston Church and all the other churches who are faithful to the gospel, let them rise up in this community faithfully proclaiming Jesus. Lord, let us do the other work of the ministry, helping the poor, helping the the downtrodden, helping those who cannot help themselves. God, let us most of all keep in mind that it is Jesus they need. And if feeding them gives them Jesus, let us feed them, Lord. If building a house gives him Jesus, let us build houses. Whatever the avenue is for sharing Jesus, let us always remember to share Jesus. Lord, as one preacher said, it's about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.